0: This program is made possible by the giving of the God Called Partners of Renner Ministries.
1: My name is Rick Renner and I'm in the ancient city of Aphrodisias in the Roman Republic of Asia. Aphrodisias was devoted to the worship of Aphrodite who was the goddess of sex and this is the ruins of the great temple of Aphrodite which was in Aphrodisias. But all over the Greek and Roman world there were temples like this Ephesus, Corinth, Pergamum, Rome, everywhere you went, there were pagan temples. And in these pagan temples, there were sexual acts that were forbidden by Scripture, horrible sexual debauchery, meat being offered to idols, demonic activity. These were not places where believers needed to be. And the Bible refers to that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, when the Apostle Paul says to the Corinthians, whose city was filled with temples like this, he says, There is no temptation taking you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able. And now listen to the end of the verse. But will with the temptation make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. That word escape is the Greek word ekbasis. The word ek means out. The word basis means to step. This word escape, the Greek word ekbasis, means move your feet and get out of there. A way of escape is your feet. Just as easily as you walked in, you can walk out. And Paul is saying to the Corinthians and to us, use your head. If you're in a place that's bad for you, it's a bad spiritual environment, or it's a place where maybe your morals will be violated, use your feet. God has made a way for you to escape and they're located in your shoes, they're called your feet. That's the way of escape. Walk out just like previously, you walked in. And that's why in the following verse he says, "'Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry.'" That word flee is a Greek word which means move your feet as fast as you can, which means when you're trying to escape a bad environment, you don't leisurely escape. You move your feet as fast as you can, you flee, you get
0: out of there. And that's what I'm gonna talk to you about today. Stay tuned for a teaching you can trust. A message that will inspire, strengthen, and equip you with vital insights and understanding from the Word of God. Here is Rick. I'm so glad you've joined me for the program today,
1: and today I'm going to talk to you about how to resist temptation. If you feel like you've been unsuccessfully trying to overcome temptation, then today I'm going to help you know how you can conquer temptation. Now, there's all kinds of temptations, but today I'm going to give you a general principle, a general rule that will work if you'll do it. And I believe it's gonna really help you. But first, I wanna tell you that right now, we're offering my series called Resisting the Enemy. There's a way for you to resist the enemy. And in this two-part series, I begin in Ephesians chapter six, where I describe the work of the devil and how he tries to attack the mind. The devil knows that if he can attack the mind and seize the mind and fill the mind with wrong thinking, then from your mind, he can begin to take you down. Well, how do you deal with your mind? How do you protect your mind so the devil can't attack it? Then we go to Mark chapter 4, where I deal with a surprise attack that Jesus experienced when he was in the middle of the lake in the middle of the night. The Bible says suddenly there was a great storm that came against him. What do you do when a big storm comes against you that you were not anticipating? When the devil tries to assail you, to take you down, how do you take authority over that kind of storm? I deal with all of that in this two-part series and I believe it's really good. I asked Denise to listen to it to tell me, will it help people? She said, wow, Rick, this series is going to really help people. So order your copy today. I believe it's going to make a difference in your life. And by the way, when you write or call, please let us know how to pray for you. We believe in prayer. We're a ministry that's very committed to prayer, and we want to pray for you. But today I want to begin with a story. Many, many years ago, when Denise and I first got married, We were single adult pastors in a very large Baptist church. When I say a large Baptist church, I mean thousands of people. And I was put over the single adult division. There were about 50 single adults when I took over that division, but soon it began to grow. And before we knew it, we had about 800 single adults in our ministry, 800 single adults, and we also developed a very large outreach to people that were newly divorced because we understood that people that were newly divorced often didn't know where they fit in the church and we needed to reach out to them in a special way. So our ministry, me and Denise, our ministry really began with single adults and with people who had been through the trauma of divorce. We loved them, spent our life with them, still love them and still have a heart for that group of people. But there was one man who regularly came to see me for counseling, and I always knew what he was going to say because every time he came to see me, he told me exactly the same thing. If he made an appointment to see me, I could predict what he was going to tell me. Every time he came to see me, he walked through the door, he sat on my couch, lowered his head, began to cry. I could see guilt all over him, and he would say, oh, Brother Rick, I did it again. I'd say, all right, tell me about it. I already knew what he was going to tell me. Tell me about it. He'd say, well, I went to my girlfriend's apartment and just didn't mean for it to go that way. But before I knew what happened, I was seized with temptation and we ended up in bed and sinned. He'd say, oh, I'm so heartbroken. Why did I do it? Why do I always do it? And I would pray with him and together we would seek the Lord and he would be better and he would leave. Then he'd make another appointment, he'd come back, we'd go through it again, and he'd make another appointment, we'd go through it again. And finally, one day I said to him, Where are you usually when this sin takes place? He'd say, Oh, we're always at my girlfriend's apartment. I said, Have you ever thought maybe you ought to stop going there? I think it's not healthy it's not really productive for you and your girlfriend to be alone in her apartment because that's always the place where you fall into sin. And if that's where you keep falling into sin, then stop going there and being alone with her in her apartment. And I'll never forget his response. He said, what? You're telling me to run from temptation? You're telling me to get out of there? Well, I think God wants me to stay there and prove how strong I am. If I'm really a mature Christian, if I'm really a strong Christian, I should be able to stay there in the middle of that temptation and overcome it and prove how strong I am. And I said, Well, friend, you're obviously not proving that. If your purpose is to stay there and prove how strong you are, you're disproving how weak you are because you keep falling into sin. You need to use your brain and get out of there. Don't go there if that's a place where you're going to fall into temptation. And you see, sometimes we just need to avoid places where we're tempted. We need to avoid things that tempt us. I'll give you an illustration from my life. I've been working on my health and losing weight and exercising, really working on me because I believe I've got a long race to run with a lot of people to touch, and I want you to help me. Be my partner and help me touch a lot of people with the teaching of the Bible. But because of that, I've been working on me. Well, I have one particular dietetic temptation. Now, if you saw what I eat, you'd be shocked. I'm so disciplined in how I eat, I eat very little, I eat very disciplined. I'm very serious about being in shape and having good health. But on Sundays, always on Sundays, I have one particular dietetic temptation. I don't know, do you have any dietetic temptations? Do you ever do really good on a diet and you're eating right and then all of a sudden you have a craving for something? Well, this happens to me every Sunday and guess what it happens? It happens during praise and worship. <laughs> Now, why during praise and worship? Because when church is over, Sunday's a very long day. We have multiple services. We work very hard. And at the end of Sunday, I usually drive home alone. And the reason I drive home alone is because Denise stays at the church and she ministers to a group of women for several more hours. And I end up going home alone. Well, on the way home, They opened a fast food restaurant that sells big burgers, big fries, ice cream, all kinds of unhealthy food, which I love, but I don't eat. But on Sunday mornings during praise and worship, there I am, got my hands in the air, worshiping God, enjoying the presence of the Lord, and all of a sudden my mind is flooded with thoughts of a hamburger, fries, and ice cream right during worship. (laughs) I'm Just being honest with you. I'll bind those thoughts and I'll say to myself, no, 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 you're not going to do this. And even when I get up to preach, I'll be having thoughts of a burger and fries and ice cream trying to come into my mind. The service is going to be over soon. You're going to be going home. You're going to be going home alone. And I know that if I drive home alone, it is very likely that when I drive past that particular fast food restaurant, I'm going to pull the car in, park it, sit in the parking lot and think about what I'm doing. Should I do it? Should I not do it? Probably I'm going to lower my resistance, open the door, get out, walk up the steps, come in, see everything displayed on the menu above my head, and I'm going to end up ordering everything I should not eat, go home, eat it, pour lots of ketchup on it, and within an hour, be very angry at myself, be very regretful that I did not practice more self-discipline. Why in the world, after you've been so good, why, why, why did you give in to that temptation? Well, that's my temptation. I know that. So I build my life to avoid my temptation. What do I do? Rather than come home alone, I ride with my associate. And I say to him, and he knows me very well, and we're very transparent, I say to him, on the way home, if I tell you to pull into this place where I can go in and get a burger and fries and ice cream, look at me and say, Pastor, we're not doing that. I authorize to stop me. Now, if I'm by myself, there's no one to stop me. Yes, the Holy Spirit will speak to me. I know that. But I could avoid the Holy Spirit. But if somebody's with me and I have a level of accountability, it's more likely that I'm not going to go in there and buy that hamburger and those fries and that ice cream. So I say to him, stop me. You're authorized to tell me no. So if we're in route home and I say, pull in there, he looks at me and kindly and respectfully says, Pastor, as you told me, the answer is no, we're not doing that. And we drive past. And guess what? As soon as we drive past that restaurant, I don't have any more temptation it's done i feel victorious i'm going to go home i'm going to eat right and going to be so happy that i built my life to make sure i would avoid the temptation now i could just drive by myself and bind the devil and pray in tongues as i drive past the fast food restaurant but it's easier if i just have somebody ride with me who says no now that's very practical but sometimes you have to get very practical about the way you deal with your temptation. Maybe your temptation, for example, is to gossip. Some people really are tempted to talk about other people and put their nose where their nose doesn't belong. So what do you do? You don't spend time with gossipy people. If there's a group of people, and you're with, when you're with them, you're inclined to gossip, then stay away from them. Don't be with those people. Be with other people who don't gossip, and you won't gossip or maybe your temptation is to be bitter with somebody every time you're with them you get bitter you get upset maybe it's smart for you not to be with those people that are upset with you it doesn't mean you don't love them you just need some space to avoid getting upset bitter filled with unforgiveness build some space between yourself and those people just don't go there or maybe you like many people today have a problem with pornography you say oh I was on the computer and suddenly I was seized with the temptation. I just couldn't resist myself. My fingers began moving. I found myself somewhere I shouldn't be. And then all of a sudden, here I was in the pits of pornography. Well, I have a suggestion for you. Put a filter on your computer or an accountability system that will immediately alert a friend or your spouse when you go to a site that is pornographic. That will stop you from going there. You see, there are practical things you can do to stop the power of a temptation. Now, when you come to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we find that the Corinthians were dealing with a lot of temptation. The city of Corinth was filled with all kinds of temptation, addictions, sexual temptation, 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 temptation. And one of the temptations was for believers to go to local pagan temples to buy meat that had been sacrificed to idols. Now, you might even read that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and think, well, what was wrong with eating meat sacrificed to idols? Well, I'm going to tell you what was wrong with it. Nothing was wrong with the meat. And in fact, the Apostle Paul said, we even know the idol is nothing. It's just a statue. It's just a piece of stone. So the idol is nothing. And the meat is not important. It's of no consequence. Then why did he tell them not to eat meat sacrificed to to idols. I'm going to tell you why. In the pagan world, there were a lot of pagan temples, just like the pagan temple where I was at the beginning of the program today in the city of Asphrodisius. But there were pagan temples like that all over the pagan world in Corinth and Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Athens, Rome, everywhere. And in the pagan temples, there was a lot of demonic activity. And the pagans would come and the pagan citizens would offer sacrifices to the idol or to the gods and because they were offering a sacrifice they brought the very best and they brought meat and they didn't just bring any piece of meat they brought the very best meat so the very best meat was offered in the pagan temples to the gods and when the sacrifices were finished and the worshipers had left the pagan priests would take those pieces of meat clean them off put them on a table outside the temple, sometimes even inside the temple, and that was the meat market for that particular temple. Really, it was a racket. People would come and would give their meat, and then the priest would sell the meat. In fact, often they would even sell it to the same people that had offered it. But if you wanted to buy really good meat in most towns, then you went to the temples because that's where the best meat was being offered for sale. Now, the problem was not the meat. The problem was inside those temples, there was a lot of demonic activity and a lot of sexual activity. Lots of bad sexual activity, demonic activity. These were places, these were cesspools that the New Testament believers had been saved out of. They had already been delivered from. But now by going to the temples to buy good meat for their families, they're putting themselves back in an old environment. They're hearing sounds they used to regularly hear. They're seeing things they used to see. They're feeling things they haven't felt for a long time because the power of God delivered them from all of that. And they're placing themselves in jeopardy of being lured back into the temple to participate in sin. It was just not the place where they needed to be. And that's why the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 19, what say I then? That the idol is anything? It's the equivalent to saying the idol is Nothing. Or that which is offered in sacrifice to the idol is anything? He's talking about meat. And then he says in verse 20, But I say that the things which Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils. The Greek word for devils really describes demons. Where Paul says the issue is not the idol. The issue is not even the meat. The issue is what happens in those temples is demonic. There's a lot of demonic activity in those temples. And then he says, And they don't sacrifice these things to God. And I would not that you would have fellowship with devils, or the Greek says demons. The word fellowship is from the Greek word koinonia. The word koinonia is the same word we use to describe fellowship with one another or fellowship with the Holy Spirit. But here it's used to describe fellowship with demons. This word fellowship means to enter into fellowship with, to participate with, And Paul says, by going to the temples to buy meat, you put yourself in a position where you will become influenced by demonic activity. Those demon spirits will oppress you. They will tempt you. They will pull you back into that cesspool that you were delivered out of. Better to avoid the meat. Avoid it. Stay away from it. Build your life so that you don't go to those places where you're going to feel tempted. And that's why he tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, there has no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. The word common to man is from the Greek word anthropinos, which comes from the word anthropos. Anthropos describes something that's human or natural. But when it becomes the word anthropinos, it describes something that is unexceptional, unspectacular, or merely human. Paul says every temptation is unexceptional. Now, when you're in the middle of the temptation and you feel caught by it, it feels very exceptional. You feel overwhelmed by it. But Paul says, hey, Put your emotions on pause. Look at the problem realistically. That temptation to overeat is nothing exceptional. It's just a merely human temptation. That temptation to look at something you shouldn't see, it's not exceptional. Many people have faced this before. Many people have conquered this before. They conquered it. You can conquer it. Look at it correctly. Don't magnify it. Don't exaggerate it. Look at your temptation and say, you're nothing to me. You're tiny. You're unexceptional. You're merely human. I'm going to put you away. And then Paul tells us how to put it away. Listen to what he says No temptation has taken you but such as is common to man. And then he says at the end of the verse, With the temptation, God will make a way for you to escape it. The word escape is the Greek word ekbasis. Very simple Greek word. Anybody who knows Greek immediately knows what it means. The word ek means out. It's where we get for the word for an exit, to make an exit. The word basis means to step. When you put the two words together, the word escape simply means a way out or ekbasis to step out or God will make a way for you to walk away from that situation. God's made a way for you to escape any temptation. And the way for escape is in your shoes. It's called feet. The word escape, the Greek word ekbasis means to walk out of. Just like you walked into a bad situation, just like you walked into a negative conversation, Just like you walked into a moment on the computer you should not have walked into, you can turn around and you can't act bosses. You can use your feet to walk out of that situation. Now, interesting that most of us say, oh God, make a way for me to escape. God, have somebody call me right now to interrupt what I'm about to do. Oh God, send somebody to knock on the door to interrupt me. Oh God, do this, do this. Send a bolt of lightning, a flash of power. Do something to deliver me. But the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, God has made a way for you to escape, ekbasis. That way of escape is in your shoes. It's called your feet. Pick your feet up and get out of there. Just get out of there. Use your feet and walk out of that place. And that's why in the following verse, Paul says to the Corinthians, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. Run from these places where you're tempted to sin. Run. In fact, the Greek word flee, the Greek word "fulge," means move your feet as fast as you can. It is a picture of a person's feet flying. His feet are never hitting the ground. He is making a dash to get out of that place. The mature thing is for you to avoid it altogether, or if you find yourself in a bad place, simply say to whoever you're with, you know what, I have something I have to take care of. I've got to go. Get up and leave. You don't have to rebuke them for being ugly or being gossipy or you don't have to rebuke your environment. Just move your feet. Just get up and walk out just like previously you walked in. Just walk out. That's how God is going to make a way for you to escape. It's common sense. This is what most people don't want to do. They want a flash of lightning or somebody to call or knock on the door. But in fact, God gives you the power of choice just like you walked into something bad, you can walk out. Build your life so that you don't give way to temptation. Now we're out of time, but I'm going to be back in just a few moments. And I'm going to pray for
0: you. I want you to stick with me to the end of the program because I believe God is going to really touch your life today. Do you feel you're in a fight for your life? Is the enemy attacking your mind with depression, fear, or temptation? as a Christian, you don't have to accept it. You can overcome and resist the enemy. In our spiritual battle, the fight is not entirely against flesh and blood, but also against unseen spiritual forces. Regardless of what you are facing, Christ has already given you the power and authority to defeat the enemy every day. In the two-part CD series, Resisting the Enemy, Rick explains how you can defeat the attacks that the kingdom of darkness tries to wage against your mind with God-given weapons and the knowledge of how to use them you can win the battle for your mind when you call or go online in order resisting the enemy you'll learn how the devil continuously bombards your mind in order to dominate your life but you can overcome by learning how to enforce our victory over satan by submitting to god and resisting the enemy When you choose to believe God and commit to his word by resisting the lies of the devil, you can and will see your circumstances change. When you call or go online today, you'll also receive the companion book, Spiritual Weapons to Defeat the Enemy. This book gives you a fresh understanding of the armor of God, the spiritual weapons of war, and how you can defeat every lie of the devil and live in victory every day. Don't miss this special offer, Resisting the Enemy and the companion book, Spiritual Weapons to Defeat the Enemy.
1: on additional channels and venues. And by being a part of our giving team, you can really help us make this happen. If you're not already a part of our giving team, please pray about joining us. And together we can join hands and through teaching of the Bible and by ministering to people that reach out to us and by sending teaching products around the world, we can really change people's lives. And it's amazing to me that today it's never been easier to make an impact in somebody else's life right from where you are. So thank you for praying about being a part of our giving team. And the moment you join, I want you to really expect the power of God to show up in your life. I want to pray for you today and believe for God to release his power in you and common sense. That power and that common sense working together will empower you to get up and walk out of situations that are negative. God's made a way for you to escape any kind of temptation. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for the authority of the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. And I pray, Father, for the Word of God to work in the heart of my dear friend and the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray the power of the Spirit would rise up like a flood in them to push back the work of the enemy, to remove it. And Lord, that you would enable them to think with their brain about avoiding certain things and to use their feet to walk out of bad situations. Help them, encourage them, fortify them to do what they need to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for being with me today. Remember Ecclesiastes 8.4. It says, where the word of the king is, there's power. Never forget, the word of God has
0: power. And I'll see you in the next program. Renner Ministries is proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ through every available media to the uttermost parts of the earth. Discover the many ways you can help us make a difference in lives around the world with the word of God. We invite you to partner with us in teaching, strengthening, and rescuing lives for the glory of God. Together, we can make a difference that will last throughout eternity. This program was made possible by the giving of the God-Called Partners of Renner Ministries.